every world became a garden, and for every garden there was a shepherd, and for all the shepherds, a greater purpose. Open this world to the winding path, light the way where I wish to roam, across the seas of infinity for this weary traveler far from home. This is The Lost Tribe. Welcome back to The Lost Tribe. We continue this week with the reading of chapter 7 and 8 of the second book, Sins of the Father. As always, I'm the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. If you are enjoying this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, and follow to keep me bringing the story to you. Thank you for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 7 Manel had given Flesh back to Falkir and restored her to consciousness. He had grinned at Falkir as he lifted her robes before reviving her and saw the marks from his feeding. He had healed those too. Falkir said nothing, then. What could he say? He stayed with her as she woke to the screams of Manon, draining the life out of Nicholas on the terrace. Falkir, what has happened? She whispered, her eyes black and far away. I have damned us both, love, he said, taking her hand. She looked up at him now. Did she remember what he was doing to her? Could she? She tightened her grip on his hand. What do you mean? Who is that screaming? Nicholas, he's dying. She started to rise, but he gently guided her back down. Nothing I know of can stop that from happening, he told her. As for the other thing, you'll see what I mean soon enough. He took her into the dining hall and made her eat something. The servants, the ones she had made, hung about her like lost children. She urged them to back off and let him help her. Her attention was drawn constantly into the hall that led to the terrace. Falkir tried to keep it out of her mind as he tended to her. Who is out there, Falkir? I know you are trying not to think about it. When I awoke, I sensed something moving close. Something terrible. He knelt in front of her, dreading that he would have to admit his failure and the weight of his disgrace. If you love me, tell me what is going on. Lethia is dead, along with Nicholas. Jack and Penny have fled as well. We are alone. She frowned and reached out to stroke the back of his head, running her fingers through his hair. A pair of heavy footsteps sounded from the hall, and Flesh raised her gaze to the doorway as Manon entered the dining hall. He turned around, watching him as he stood there, his hands folded in front of him formally, like some kind of servant awaiting his pleasure. He mocked them with the hold he had over them. Feeling better, are we? He asked her, moving towards them. Falker stood up and put himself in between them. Whoa there, lover boy. I just wanted to sit down and have a conversation with you both. There's no need to be hostile. No point, either. But I do understand. Who are you? Flesh asked. My name is Manon and I'm the reason that you're back walking and talking. He nudged past Falkir and sat down in a chair next to her. Falkir wished he had the strength to fight him, but he had tried that already and failed. Falkir had a feeling he was even stronger now, after Nicholas. To defy Manon now would be death for the both of them. T 
Do you believe you are owed something for it? Oh, all of you owe me. The question you should be asking is, what do I want? Falke pushed Flesh's minions out of the way and sat down beside her. You told me before that you know us. And now you're saying that we owe you? Who are you to us? I'm the reason that you are how you are, he replied. The darkness in you is mine, or mine on loan, so to speak. Without me, you'd be as weak as those you fight against. Falkir suddenly had a horrible feeling of coming to the story halfway through. He thought of Apostos and what Mick had told him so long ago but what he believed was going on. What did he know that we don't? We had the Oracle, damn it! Now Jack and Penny were gone, and the last thing they suggested was going to find Mick. What do you know of them? Oh, only what I could learn from being in your head. I have Lethius and Nicholas's memories now, too. The one called Apostos intrigues me. He resembles someone I once knew. Who is the one you're looking for, then, this Lyconus? Menon looked up at him, and his eyes became huge and black. He is the key to my plans here, my greatest ally. Our greatest ally, I suppose, now that I am the leader of the kingdom. I need to find which of you he is inside. Inside? What do you mean? Is that why you killed Lethia and Nicholas? Not exactly. He stood up and walked away from them towards the terrace. Follow me, the both of you. It didn't seem like they had a choice. Falkyr took Flesh's arm as they walked together out to the terrace. They found Menon standing near the railing, looking out over the city. The storm boiled above them. The wind stronger now as clouds streamed and burned across the sky. Menon pointed up at them. What is happening there? From what we understand, the longer we stay in one place and use our powers, the world starts to distort and go mad. Our wretched counterparts seem to think that we don't belong anywhere. We believe that the worlds are ours to do with as we wish, Flesh explained. Menon laughed loud and long, leaning on the rail for support. Ah, you truly are my children. What do you want with us, Menon? You're going to help me send a message, he said. A message that those who are looking for it will understand. He rubbed his chin with one hand, frowning slightly as he looked back across the city. How do we do that? Hmm. Use your minions to round up as many of the population as there are left, and drive them in the courtyard below. That will do for a start. Chapter 8 We moved Jack and Penny down to the very hold where I had been tied up. They went pretty quietly. Jack really didn't have much choice in the matter as he looked like he ended up second best in a fight with a baseball bat. I could see that Penny had wrapped a bandage around his chest and there were numerous small wounds on his scalp and face where eh, fresh bruises and abrasions bloomed like flowers. I added that to the list of topics for discussion. As a courtesy, we didn't tie them up, though. I set Apostos to watching them while they reclined on the benches in the hold. Penny looked very shaky as she tried to make Jack comfortable. I stood there with Apostos, keeping watching them as Casey came down, dressed in jeans, a blousy shirt, and her cowboy hat. Her pistols hung across her hips and her hands were splayed across the belts. She walked over to me and leaned in. They said anything yet? I haven't started asking any questions. How's Otomo? Pissed off. He's already threatened to leave if we let them stay. What's your play here? I pulled her over, out of earshot. 
They know the current state of affairs with the kingdom, and we need to know what they know before we hit them. Besides, they're not on my hit list, according to Father. So I figure that if they're out of the way, that'll be easier, right? You really think they'll tell us something? Jack won't. He's still probably loyal. Penny, though? She looks pretty shook up. Something's happened. Casey nodded and looked over at the pair where they lay on one of the benches. She drummed her fingers, and I could hear the gears turning. How are you with all of this? You're making some pretty fast moves, Mick, she said, taking my arm. Henry's nervous, and I don't blame him. That's not really what I was asking, I said, taking up her other hand in mine. You want to know if you can trust me not to shoot Jack, or if I trust you? Both, uh, really. What we did to you, Mick, we had to. I'm sorry for not coming to your defense. Does that answer your question? I slipped my arms around her and held her. I don't want to lose you in this war. You won't, she said. Do you remember what I said before Father took you away? I remembered that she had taken hold of me when Father had arrived to help Apostos. She had shouted something that I couldn't hear above the thunder that Father had brought with him. I had a pretty good idea of what she said, though. I I love you, too. I love you, too. I said, realizing that I had never really said it to anyone before now, in the way that I meant it. She stood there with me and smiled. She kissed me. I remember the bed of flowers under a desert sky, and I kissed her back, suddenly wishing that I didn't have the weight of worlds on my back and that I could put down this sword. I gave her one last squeeze before letting go. Tell Henry that I'll be up as soon as I've talked to these two. He'll want to hear everything, she said. Come find me when you're done. I nodded, and she headed up the stairs. I turned back to see Penny staring at me, a look of wonder on her face. Jack was breathing very slowly, and he stared at the bulkhead. What is that you have on y'all back, Mick? Uh, you've been brought to answer questions, Penny, not ask them. Are you talking about the sword? Oh, you know I am, Mick. Don't be so coy. What I told you about the whispers that I was hearing in your dreams? What you have here is the answer to them all. The last time I talked with Penny was at the castle in Trelane, when I was being held prisoner. She had told me that my dreams were the key to finding what Lethe was looking for. As it turned out, my dreams were being used by Father to prepare me for taking up the sword. I wonder if he had been whispering to Penny as well. Enough about all that for now, I said, walking up and sitting down beside them. What you're going to tell me is what you and the rest of the kingdom have been up to, and where they are now. Screw yourself, Nick. We're not telling you a damn thing. That's not really an option for you at the moment. The hour is getting late, and the kingdom is pushing the buttons of a very powerful being that will wipe the world clean of all life, including us. If you're not stopped, I need to know where to find the rest of your people. Jack pushed himself up to look at me. You think we're going to trust you after what you did to Flesh? Penny scolded him and tried to make him lie back down. You will, because it's in your best interest. Let's start with who beat the crap out of you, Jack. Falkir, of course. Who else? He grinned. You're lying. If you'd gotten in a fight with Falkir, you'd have your guts on your shoes, or your throat torn out. Try again. It was someone called Manon, Penny whispered. Shut up, Penny. For all our sakes. At the mention of the name, I felt something inside me twitch. My ruined hand tightened into a fist. Who the hell is that? He took out Falkia and Nicholas without much effort, and did this to Jack before he and Lethia got into it. I got us out of there before things got worse. We shouldn't have left them. Jack growled. It was only a matter of time before Lethia killed us both, Jack, and you know it. It was pretty clear that things had deteriorated for them in the kingdom. And maybe Lethia was too much of an egomaniac to let Jack have so much power. 
This new threat seemed to have come out of nowhere, though, and broken their circle pretty easily. That simple fact made me curious about their loyalties. What did he want? I doubt something powerful enough to take out all of you like that would have done so without a purpose. Penny looked back and forth between us. Finally, she spoke. He wanted to know where to find someone called Laconis, she said, looking directly at me. Apostos turned his head towards Penny. I tried not to show any reaction. It's okay, Mick, she continued. I know that you know who he is and where he is. The Whisper spoke of him once as the Fallen Son. They used your name interchangeably with his. Have I said enough yet? Not yet. Tell me more about Manol, I said. The mention of his name made me feel very much like I swore in church. I told you that I can see those who have power, Mick. I see those like us as outlines brimming with green fire. I see Apostos as a silvery shadow. What I saw when I looked at Manon was something different. Something terrible. It was worse than being blind. I don't know what it looks like to see him as you do, but to me is a huge black tornado that tore through Trelane and became a fiery black shadow when he touched down. If he's after you, you better start running now. Why do you think he's after me? Penny got up from where she sat and put her hand on my shoulder. When I look at you, I can see something writhing inside you, she said. It looks like a writhing silvery shadow, nothing like yours, Apostos. Something or someone's hiding inside you, Mick. I think we both know what it's hiding from now, don't we? I think running is an especially good idea. And if you are what he's looking for, I'd also like to get the hell away from you, if you don't mind. I moved close enough to nearly be face to face with Jack. He grinned, his bruised and scraped up face making him wince slightly in the act. I straightened his tie and brushed at his right shoulder. The sad thing, Jack, is that if I win, and I can stop your companions from screwing up the worlds, you and I will breathe the same air together, living on one world. That sounds like a lousy deal. Whose idea was that? Hmm. It was mine. Part of the bargain that Father offered me. He also told me that I didn't have to kill either of you to make that happen. So be grateful. Jack backed off and sat down on the bench. I turned back to Apostos. We need to talk. Give these two some breathing room for a bit. Apostos nodded and followed me up the stairs. There are worse places to be, you two. I shouted down the stairs. Don't give me a reason to send you to them. We stood in the small room above the hold. There were two poster chairs by a small wood stove that was bolted to the floor. I reached into a basket beside the stove which was filled with kindling and threw a couple pieces in to warm the place up. I knew Apostos couldn't have cared less, but I was tired of freezing my ass off on Taroge. I sat down in the chair closest to the stove and motioned for him to sit down. Apostos eased himself down to the other chair and then tapped his fingers on the arms. Since we had met, Apostos had become increasingly more human to me. He was much less like a god now and more like one of us. Bad company, maybe. He has certainly cut down the pretension since our little confrontation before Father came to enlighten me. He no longer wore the armor, and his hair was tied back to gather in the folds of his hooded tabard. In truth, he looked no more out of place than we ever did. Hell, I still wore a fur cloak over a linen shirt crisscrossed with straps from scabbards, and smelling vaguely of some very hard traveling. Tick-tock, Mick, he muttered. I know. I need to straighten some things out with you before we charge into Trelane, though. And what would those be? 
Before we really get into it, I'd like you to remind you that you're in my service now, and I expect some answers. In other words, no more playing coy. Agreed. The hour is getting late. The first thing I need to know is, who is Manon? He shook his head and furrowed his brow. I don't know. I have the oddest feeling that I should know, but as soon as I try to grasp at that notion, it disappears. Do you think Father knows? If he does, he has never told me of him. I opened the stove and threw in another piece of kindling. I sifted the coals around with an iron poker. I'm beginning to feel as if there's a lot that he knows that he never told any of you, or us for that matter. The fact that Penny can see what you told me was impossible, twisted away inside me, leads me to believe that either everything is going way off his grand plan, or working exactly the way he wants it to. Is it not enough that he is offering your people a world to live on? Why question that? Why interfere with the grand scheme if it is to your benefit? Ah, I know this is going to be hard for you to understand because you're not human. But most of us live with a lot of uncertainty about what's real and what's not. My people are still human no matter what the portion of Father's power that he instilled in us has allowed us to do. Right now, I'm about to lead them into battle against our own people for the chance to coexist. That's all messed up on its own. Add the fact that I seem to have a lively ghost running around in my head sowing doubt about the creator of the universe, and then add to the mix a whole new player that doesn't like our enemies much but seems very dangerous on his own. I have a lot of questions right now, Apostos, and no one seems to know the answers. That scares me. Most of your worrying is pointless, though, because no matter what you decide to do, Father will carry out what he has promised, if you fail, and start again from ground zero. He has done it before. Arguing with Apostos about the trustworthiness of our divine creator seemed pointless. I could not shake the foundations of his faith with my misgivings. It was best that I just move on to the hard part. There's something I need you to do, Apostos. It's going to be dangerous, but it has to be done so the attack will succeed. He rose from his chair. I know what you want, Mick. It has been written on your face since Penny told you. You need to know about Manon and I am your best chance of spying on him and coming back in one piece. And so? It is your will, and so I will take it as Father's own. Even though he may be as dangerous as the darkness in me was to you? Mick, even if something does happen to me, I have faith that Father will try to help me, or recover me if I am damaged or destroyed in his service. I will do as you ask. I wish I had your reassurances. Thank you for what you're going to do. Can you leave it an hour or so? I'll, I'll wait for as long as I can before we attack so you can report back. As you wish. What about Jack and Penny? Surely you are not taking them with you. Oh, I have someone in mind that can make sure they stay put. Is he reliable? Hmm, if he wasn't drunk, out on a hunt, or having relations, sure. Of course he is. Apostos raised one eyebrow and then moved back downstairs to check on Jack and Penny. I watched him go. Would I see him again? It was strange to feel compassion for him, considering our history of conflict and mutual dislike. But I guess it was just confirmed but I guess it just confirmed that I was still operating on a human level. That was good. Sort of. On one hand I was comforted by the fact that my soul was still intact despite the corruption in my body, but I also dreaded its burden. I hated the weight of having so much on my shoulders and holding the lives of my friends in my hands. 
On the Maria, my old ship from before I was awakened to this new life. I had the same duties, and I faced them with the same disdain. I wish that I could bury my heart for safekeeping for the next day or so, and come back for it after the horror was done with me. I knew, though, that my wish was merely a whisper on the whirlwind. It was one small sound in the chorus of screaming that was the unending background score for this universe. Once again, thank you all for listening and tuning into The Lost Tribe Since the Father. Join me next week when the story continues, and remember to follow this podcast and share it to keep the story going. 